0: You're listening to the Gluten-Free Guide Podcast with your hosts, Vanessa Weisbrod and Emily Friedner. Welcome to the Gluten-Free Guide Podcast. I'm Vanessa Weissbrode, coming to you from the Celiac Disease Program at Children's National Health System. I am so excited today to have such a very special guest, Dr. Aileen Cherabati, the Director of the Irritable Bowel Disease Center at MedStar Georgetown University Hospital Center. Today, Dr. Cherabadi is going to be interviewed by one of my co-hosts, Ellen Wilcox, from the board of our Celiac Disease Program, to talk all about how compliant do you really need to be on your gluten-free diet. So without further ado, I'm going to toss it over to Ellen to, and hear from Dr. Cherabadi.
1: Dr. Cherabadi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Ellen. We know that people with celiac disease are advised to follow a strict gluten-free diet, but we also know that can be challenging. If someone has celiac disease, is there an amount of gluten that they could eat before it becomes a
2: problem? Well, it really depends what we mean by by problems. Uh, If we mean uh, symptoms, it really varies from one patient to another. Um, I'm sure you know some patients, as soon as they eat a little bit of gluten, if there's a breadcrumb that contaminated their diet, or if they put a lipstick on that has some gluten in there, uh, some of these patients actually develop severe symptoms almost immediately. Uh, and I'm thinking about patients who uh, develop abdominal pain or diarrhea or severe migraines. And actually, these patients are very, very good about keeping a strict gluten-free diet uh, because they notice the gluten right away, but actually some patients don't have that problem, and they probably can uh, ingest some gluten without having symptoms, and uh, these are the patients that might be taking some gluten in their diet or medication without noticing that they're doing that, or they might have a tendency to cheat a little bit because we're not having immediate symptoms, and this also includes patients who at the time of diagnosis of celiac did not have the typical symptom. The weight loss, uh, the pain, the diarrhea, feeling horrible. These are patients that often got diagnosed when their physician was working them up for, let's say, iron deficiency anemia or osteoporosis. So these things might not be very symptomatic. And uh, so for these patients, eating some gluten, you know, they might not see the symptoms right away, they might not see the consequences. And then it might be easier to kind of go into that slippery slope of, Um, ingesting some gluten from time to time. But the real problem, if we're talking about what happens in the small bowel, that's where the real problem is. So whether you ingest gluten and you have symptoms or you don't have symptoms, your small bowel will react to even a very small amount of gluten. And what happens there is uh, any uh, little bit of gluten will trigger the inflammatory process, the autoimmune response, and the destruction of uh, the small bowel layer. And this is really the problem because this will have long-term consequences on the person's health.
1: Well, what might those long-term consequences be for somebody with celiac disease who is either eating gluten regularly because
2: they're cheating or getting it by accident? So as long as there's gluten ingested or the person is exposed to gluten, they will continuously be damaged to the small bowel. And this can lead to many things. Uh, The small bowel is really the main part of the uh, gastrointestinal tract that absorbs the nutrients. And the uh, part of the small bowel that absorbs most nutrients is actually the first part of the small bowel, what we call the duodenum and that's the part that gets a load of gluten all right get really exposed to gluten and this is where we'll see the damage when we do an endoscopy and biopsy and because again this part of small bile is what absorbs most nutrient then we putting our body at higher risk of having deficiency Uh, one of the main deficiencies that occur is iron deficiency and iron is crucial into having an adequate number of red blood cell count in our body, transporting oxygen to all our organs and keeping us healthy. So iron deficiency anemia can be um, noticed on a simple test, uh, blood test, but it also can have many, many uh, symptoms and consequences on the health of the person. Often people with iron deficiency will complain of fatigue of poor sleep, of uh, being irritable, hair loss. And uh, people who have uh, heart disease, uh, for example, being iron deficient can trigger a heart attack because you need enough oxygen to get your organs. Often people feel short of breath or fatigued if they make an effort, et cetera. So iron deficiency is uh, and can be a serious condition. Other vitamins that we can uh, miss are vitamin B. Uh, uh, Different vitamin Bs are absorbed in the small bowel and uh, lacking these vitamin B can increase the risk of having uh, neurological symptoms. So whether it's imbalance in the way we walk or uh, feeling of burning and tingling in the hands and feet, um, you know, irritability, depression, uh, all these things have been linked to uh, vitamin deficiency in patients with celiac disease as well as vitamin E also can have neurological consequences. And of course, you will lose weight, you feel fatigue, there's other micronutrients that we don't necessarily measure at the time of blood work that we can lose uh, when our small bowel is inflamed and not able to do its function. The other thing that happens is that you uh, put yourself at increased risk of having non-GI manifestation of the disease. So we talked a little bit about the neurological complication Um, but also other things, osteoporosis, which means that you're losing the calcium and and the solidity of your bone, which can increase the risk of developing fractures. Um, In young women, uh, this can really affect their reproductive health. And there is an increased risk of infertility in uh, women who have celiac that is undertreated or non-treated or undiagnosed. And in women who are pregnant, and have unrecognized celiac or celiac that is not being treated properly, uh, that can really have negative consequences on their pregnancy. There is an increased risk of uh, prematurity in the baby or being born uh, with a low birth weight or and this will really affect the baby's health. So it's very important to think about celiac disease and the gluten-free diet, not just in terms of immediate relief of symptoms, but also what it can do to long-term health. And finally, there's something that we often discuss with our patient, is the increased risk of cancer. Um, Anytime you're irritating part of your body chronically, you increase the risk of cancer in that part of the body. Think about multiple sunburn and skin cancer, uh, smoking and irritating the lung and lung cancer. The same thing happens in the small bowel. That small bowel that's chronically inflamed or intermittently inflamed, if you're going in and out of gluten-free diet, At some point, something's going to go wrong, and there's an increased risk of small bowel cancer, uh, small bowel lymphoma, but also other type of cancer if we don't treat celiac disease properly. I've read that celiac
1: disease is considered a disease of malnutrition.
2: What does that mean exactly? So when you have celiac disease, uh, like we were mentioning, and your small bowel is injured, it's not not only... um, Uh, not being able to do its function of absorbing nutrients, but it's also started leaking out nutrients. So you do lose lose protein in the gut, we do lose uh, nutrients in the gut, and we're not able to absorb the nutrients. Uh, So this leads to uh, overall malnutrition state. And by malnutrition, it does not necessarily mean you're going to see a person who's thin and cachectic walk around you know malnutrition can can be found in people who overall look healthy but when you test their blood uh, uh, for their amount of protein in their blood for nutrients for vitamins you will see that they are deficient so uh, a patient with celiac that's not controlled you, you know for kids we will we'll see them not growing properly they fall off the curve in an adult they might lose weight but you might not see that and it's really a malnutrition of um, uh, the fact that we're losing protein and nutrients in the stool because the the, the gut is not capable of retaining uh, those nutrients anymore. Thank you. So how do you handle the
1: situation when you're seeing a patient and they continue to show symptoms of celiac disease, uh, but they swear that they are very careful
2: and they're very careful with a gluten-free diet? Well, this is a common situation. So, uh, you know, the number one cause of continuing to have symptoms uh, when you have celiac disease is the is the fact that gluten is still going, uh, you know, sneaking uh, on the patient. So, whether the patient is taking gluten unknowingly or knowingly, that's usually the most common cause. So the first thing we do is sit down with the patient and really review the diet, review medications. We don't think a lot about medication or cosmetics, but a lot of medication and cosmetics can contain gluten. So we review that, and we try to identify if there is gluten that's being incorporated in their diet without their knowledge. Right? They they, they think they're doing the right thing, uh, but uh, there's gluten in the diet. The other thing we assess is how much uh, or how often a, a person eats out. Right? Eating in a restaurant is a main cause of uh, you know non compliance in a way that. Uh, gluten is, uh, cr- cr- there's cross contamination uh, of food. Uh, you know, you might order a gluten free meal, but if it's not prepared in a kitchen where they absolutely take really good care about not mixing. Their, uh, the preparation of gluten-free meal with that of uh, uh, gluten-containing meals, uh, or you know, some restaurant might not be very good at following regulation and and maybe don't realize how big of a problem it is. So uh, I've often noticed that in patients who uh, eat out a lot, there's often much more gluten that gets into their diet without them knowing. And once patients start preparing their own meals and being really careful how they do it. Uh, things get better, or where you, you know you're preparing your own meal, but you're part of a family where uh, you're preparing a meal for your kid. Maybe that uh, a sandwich, and then you're preparing something different. It's also very easy to have cross contamination, so it's it's very important to review the diet, review medication, cosmetics, anything that the patient is uh, being exposed to, to see if there's uh, gluten in there. And it's very important to really understand that. You, We have to take charge of our meals and to have a support system in the household, which means creating maybe fun food and food that's good for the whole family. So we're not preparing two different meals where the whole family might go gluten-free, but in a good way, in a fun way. So there's a lot of good resources and great cookbook there. So that's the first step, really making sure that there's no gluten uh, that... uh, is just sneaking on the person. Um, The second thing is we make sure that there's no other condition associated with celiac disease. Their celiac might be under good control. You know, I might do blood tests for celiac serology and that comes back negative. Uh, So which means the person is following a strict gluten-free diet. But there are other conditions that we see more often in patients with celiac disease that can cause the same symptoms. For example, um, lactose intolerance, right? So uh, we remove gluten, we, we remove often oat from patients patient with celiac disease, but they could have lactose intolerance that can cause the same type of bloating and diarrhea and, and, and abdominal pain. Um, Microscopic colitis, this is a disease of the colon, uh, where the colon looks normal when we do an endoscopy, but on biopsy, we see very similar changes that uh, that uh, we see in patients uh, when we biopsy the small bowel. So we see a lot of inflammatory cells in the colon on biopsy, and that can cause diarrhea thyroid disease. Patients with celiac disease have a higher likelihood of developing other autoimmune disorders, including thyroid disease, and thyroid uh, dysfunction can affect the GI tract, can cause anemia, can cause fatigue, so very much similar to the symptoms from celiac disease. And finally, something that's under-recognized is that often patients with celiac have a higher tendency of developing irritable bowel syndrome, or IBS. Uh, So this is a syndrome where uh, patients might have um, abdominal pain and diarrhea and cramping but we can't find a specific reason and you know it could be because patients with celiac had their small bowel so beaten up for so long before it was recognized that now it's not tolerant to many things in the environment and um um, patients can have um, these IBS symptoms in conjunction to their celiac. So um, this this is what we do. We rule out that there's gluten. We rule out other condition, and very rarely, very occasionally, we'll see patients who have refractory celiac, which means that despite the gluten-free diet, uh, despite having the serology becoming negative, uh, they continue to actually have the small bowel damage that's ongoing and uh, causing symptoms. So if somebody presents and
1: you've ruled out all these other things and you suspect they do have
2: refractory celiac disease, how is that treated? So uh, for refractory celiac, what happened is, uh, the small bowel uh, inflammation, the autoimmune process occurring in the small bowel becomes independent from the exposure to gluten. You don't need gluten anymore to trigger that at the level of the small bowel. So it's like a, you know, vicious cycle that gets started. And this can happen either at the diagnosis, so you diagnose somebody with celiac, they start a gluten-free diet, they do a great job, their blood work might come back negative at this point, but they still have symptoms, and when we uh, do a repeat endoscopy and we biopsy the small bowel, we see persistent damage or it can happen later somebody's been doing great they're pro at gluten free diet they're the best gluten free dieter ever right and they've been doing well their small bowel healed but then at some point something changes and they become refractory so it can happen at any time of the diagnosis either at the initial diagnosis or later and then there's two type right there's a type where uh, we can um, we can treat it and it's uh, and we hope it's a temporary thing and we can kind of reset what's going on in the small bowel. So when we take another look at patients with uh, refractory celiac, we take another endoscopic look, we repeat the biopsy, I ask my pathologist to do special stains. I'm trying to figure out, is, uh, are these lymphocytes, these inflammatory cells in the small bowel that are you know, perpetuating that inflammation, are these normal cells or are they turning malignant? that's what i'm trying to figure out. so my pathologist can do special stains and look at the, uh, the type of uh, lymphocytes that are in the small bowel and give me an answer. if those lymphocytes are the normal type, i mean they're just, you know, activated, they're creating an inflammation, but they're not precancerous lymphocytes, we often treat that with a short course of uh, steroids and people respond very well. Sometimes we need to do a little more, um, give them a short course or, of uh, medication that modulate the immune system uh, and that kind of reset things. Uh, patient respond very well uh, to steroid or or to other immunomodulator therapy, and it kind of reset, calms down this inflammation and reset things. And these people do very well. There's another type of refractory disease, we call that type two, where those lymphocytes in the small bowel are becoming pre-malignant. And, uh, and this is a marker of, uh, possible development of lymphoma of the small bowel. And these people, unfortunately, don't do very well. They often present very malnourished. They, they're having severe diarrhea. They're losing protein and, and, and fat in their stool. They do not respond to steroid. They do not respond to um, different medication you might uh, need uh, to use. And, and usually, these patients do poorly. But fortunately, it's very rare to have type 2 refractory celiac disease. So most of the time, we're dealing with type 1. That uh, we can control and uh, and treat properly.
1: What is your best advice to patients generally who have celiac disease about
2: you know managing the diet? So um, I'll say a few things. One is you you know having celiac disease is not easy, and being on a strict gluten free diet is not easy. Nobody denies that. You know. I, I try sometime to spend a week without chocolate, and it's, it's torture for me. Um, so I, I do understand it's very hard. But you have to think about, about it in a different way. Celiac disease is really the only autoimmune disorder where we know what is the trigger, what is the environmental trigger that um, started this autoimmune cascade, and it's gluten. And so in principle, we have a very simple solution, which is removing the gluten as opposed to other autoimmune disease like rheumatoid arthritis or Crohn's or colitis. These are patients where we don't know what triggers the inflammatory and autoimmune uh, cascade, and these are patients that often need to take medication that suppress the immune system, that increase their risk of infection, and that increase their risk of lymphoma, actually, and malignancy. So you can look at it in a different way, different perspective. It sucks to be gluten-free, but also, It's lucky. We are lucky in terms of celiac disease that we know what triggers it, we know the offending agent. we know how to eliminate it from our diet, and we don't have to take drugs that can be potentially toxic to our health. So that's one way of looking at it. The other thing is that when you're going to do this hard work of being on a gluten-free diet, don't mess it up. Don't mess it up by cheating or taking gluten from time to time, because all the hard work that you did uh, can be reversed by a little bit of gluten in your diet that will trigger that inflammatory cascade. It's a little bit like going to the gym, sweating, you know, getting your heart rate up, doing all that thing and leaving the gym and having a big burger and, and fries. You, you don't do that. And even though, you know, it's hard to uh, follow a gluten-free diet, but when, you, when you're invested in that, when you're invested in your health and you're making every effort to stay healthy, you know, cheating from time to time is it, going to set you back and it's just not worth it. And so one of the ways, what I tell my patients is try to make your gluten-free diet fun. You know, there's so much resources out there, you know, get, uh, you know, get involved in an advocacy group in a support group, um, you know, get some fun cookbook uh, on gluten-free uh, recipe. I-, I use them often in my house because they're a great recipe. They're very healthy for everybody. Um, include your family members, your friends, uh, maybe have a friend, a buddy, a family member or somebody that can hold you accountable, that can remind you how miserable you felt when you were on a gl- on, uh, gluten-containing diet um see your physician regularly you know uh I- once the diagnosis is made we often send the patient to a nutritionist they go over the gluten-free diet we see the patient again but it's important to keep that follow-up that holds you accountable uh your physician will screen you every time for you know potential nutrient deficiency or we'll recheck celiac serology and if it's elevated we know gluten is sneaking out on you and then we make some adjustment. so it's important to have uh a a, a understanding of the disease that it's good that we know what causes it, it's good how we can treat it with diet alone and not with taking potentially toxic medication. Um, it's good to know the consequences of cheating, that it affects the small bowel and it can set you back and can cause long-term side effects like malignancy. It's good to have a support group, to be involved, be involved in your community, in your celiac community, in your uh, advocacy group. It, it, it just empowers you as opposed to feeling you, you're missing out on things. You're actually bringing something to uh, other patients with celiac and to your community. And, and, and get good family uh, support. Get everybody involved in a gluten-free diet, make it fun, uh, make it delicious, and uh, so you stay healthy and enjoy your life and not have this disease always in the back of your mind. What's going to happen if I eat a little bit of gluten? Am I damaging things? Yes, you are. Uh, is there any long-term consequences? That Yes, there, are, there is. Um, but uh, it's, it's very important to surround yourself by positive people, a positive physician, a positive community that can help you in that journey. Dr. Cherabadi, this is
1: such wonderful advice. I want to thank you so much for speaking with us today.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Wow, what an insightful interview. Thank you so much to both Ellen and Dr. Cherabadi for all of this incredible information. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.